We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 111, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, joined by my guest for the day, who is, this is a special one, and I think you might remember him, it's Frances Tomas. And now before I let you hear Frances's lovely voice again, I'll start this show by saying that this show is going to be in two parts today, as we have two huge pieces of business to attend to. The first piece of business is to review the 5-1 win in El Clasico, which Obviously, you just enjoyed, just as Frances and I did. So that'll be the first half of the show. Then, after months of wondering and keeping you waiting, we'll use the second part of this show to catch up with my and your good friend, Frances Tomas, and see what he's been up to for the last few months. Now, Frances, it took us a little bit of time to get connected. And again, that'll be the second part of the show. But do you still remember how to do this thing? Are you feeling natural? I sort of do. I sort of do. Um... First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone that has kept the show going. Obviously, Dan, yourself, and uh, all the different guests that have been here over the last two, three months. Um, I don't want to bore you with too much about myself, but um, I don't live in London anymore. I moved to Doha in Qatar, uh, Qatar, as the locals call it. And um, yeah, my life has taken a 360 turn, but you know, my love for Barca remains. Yeah, more of that. Um, yeah, I'd... but there'll be more of that on this in the second part of the show. I think let's talk about both of our love for. Barcelona, let's review this El Clasico. Let's do that. Let's do that. All right. Well, let's get this show started with, again, we have two La Gran Preguntas today. So this is La Gran Pregunta Parte Uno. And it's going to be simple, Frances. How much fun was El Clasico? Now, you and I both watched it in different places. We just talked about it off air. I watched it with a New York City Pena. Again, a wonderful atmosphere. Thank you to them for hosting the Barcelona podcast, as always. And for you, you had a little bit of a different setup in the way that you were enjoying the match. Yeah, we did. We just went into one of the big hotels here in Doha. And, uh, you know, I have been researching see if there's any Peña here. Apparently there is. Um, and that's what the official website says. But, you know, I still haven't been able to find them. And matches are really late at night here. Well, relatively late. Um, start at sort of 11 p.m., 12, sort of midnight. But the thing is, the weekend is different. So Friday and Saturday is the weekend here. So when Barca play on a Saturday, it's actually a working day. Um, people normally work from like 5 or 6 in the morning. So it is a little bit tricky to, to watch Barca. Basically, you have to get up in the middle of the night to do that. 
Um, but yeah, there were, it was quite full today because obviously it was um, an earlier kickoff in Barcelona. And there was plenty of people cheering for Madrid, I have to say. Um, but I made sure that I made my colors noticed. I was wearing them, obviously. And uh, every time we scored, I was jumping up and down. And yeah, I got a couple of looks, put it that way. And always appreciated and deserved looks. And, ha- and at least five looks you must have got because, again, it was a 5-1 win. And the iconic shot that we're already seeing on social media is the five fingers put up by Gerard Piquet mirroring that match, the 5 nothing win back in 2010. And this was a little bit different, though. There were ebbs and flows. There were hills and valleys to it. Just to walk you through the first goal, it's Felipe Coutinho, the feed from Jordi Alba. It was all set up by that through ball from even Rakitic second goal was the Luis Suarez penalty kick after it was reviewed by VAR and the head official then indicated to go to the spot and then in the second half things got turned on its head a little bit with Barcelona up two nothing again a really comprehensive first half of action then the second half Lepertegui who as all into, I mean, if he hasn't been fired by the time that you and I who are recording this about an hour and a half after the El Clasico ended if he hasn't been fired yet He's definitely going to be fired in the next few hours. Well, he replaces Rafael Varane with Lucas Vasquez, and that works to great effect for for Real Madrid. Kind of helps them create a little more pressure. And through that pressure, Marcelo gets a goal in the 50th minute. Now it's just 2-1, where really it could have been 4-1 at that point for Barcelona at their first half. But then Valverde does answer. Nelson Semedo comes in for Rafinha in the 69th minute. And then the 74th, Usmani Dembele for Coutinho. Nebele, with his first touch, pushes the ball off the field to Sergio Roberto, who passes to Suarez for that booming header. 77th minute, Marco Asensio for Gareth Bale. Substitution, an 82nd minute, Mourinho comes in for Marcelo, who picks up a knock. But then, in the 83rd minute, Suarez from Roberto again, embarrassing Sergio Ramos, picking his pocket. And Suarez gets the hat trick with his third child, his daughter being just born a few days ago. And again, his third child, three goals. Works perfectly. Wonderful synergy. You're going to see a lot of that this week as well. And then a minute later, here comes Arturo Vidal. Dembele, the assist for the header. And that's how we get to 5-1. And looking at this tactically, Frances, again, you and I were watching in, in areas where there were people on bigger screens. Again, not getting a tactical look. But for me in that first half, while Jordi Alba was a little more quiet in the second half, I was so impressed by the left back in that first. The tactical approach of... What To me, it looked like they were flooding the left side with bodies. When you looked at halftime, B in sports had this average position chart, and it seems like they were flooding bodies to that left side. And then Rafinha and Coutinho would drift into the middle and even to the right for Rafinha. And with moving those bodies there and Madrid still believing there was a strong side to the left side, they, were o- they would overcompensate. And that would leave Albo just one-on-one with Nacho on the left side of the field. And that's how that through ball from Rakitic to Alba gets through, and they just kept doing that for the first 20 minutes of the game, and that completely offset that completely offset Real Madrid, and I really wonder if that was Valverde's, the, the whole idea that what they were going to try to do once they saw that Nacho was going to be the right back. Again, Hall's injured, and they're not going with some of their younger players, so with that kind of speed matchup, that he would just want to take Alba one-on-one with Nacho, but how could you create the space on that left side to do that? And that's to funnel everybody to the middle after they've used a strong side on the left. No, for sure. I think that the key of the game was that Madrid was sort of trying to cover all the ground, meaning that Madrid forwards were actually pressing Lenglet and obviously Piquet as well. 
Um, when you stretch your own team like that, talking about Madrid here, it is natural there's going to be gaps. And, and the thing with Barca throughout the last 10, 15 years, really, it's the fact that fullbacks are used you know, in the most effective way possible, pushing forward as much as they could. I mean, any, any blind pe- person could have seen this, that the fact that Jordi Alba was going to be pushing and they just didn't have any answer because they were stretching their own team, going into areas that, quite frankly, they shouldn't really have done. I mean, I'm delighted that they did. But Jordi Alba, every time he was pushing forward, as you said, particularly in the first half, he had the whole of the motorway available for him. Um, Nacho, whoever it was on the right, um, can't even remember now, but they, they had no answer whatsoever. Um, and, you know, I think that was very weak from Lopetegui's point of view. And to be honest, his players should have told him, like, this is the way that Barca play. You should be ready for it. But he just wasn't. Um, I, having said that, I think Alba has been outstanding, not just today, but the whole season. Um, I think, obviously, not having Messi there, um, Barca have to play differently. But if you think about the players that step up in Messi's absence, that's certainly Jordi Alba. Suarez has always been associated with Messi, but he's taken a step forward in terms of ownership, in terms of, in terms of being sort of the beacon of the team up front. And, you know, I do realise that he doesn't get everything right. I do realise he misses the simplest of passes, but let's face it, he was the beacon that got Barca sort of going together with Jordi Alba, and I think the whole of the supporting cast, call it Artur, call it Rakitic, obviously Busquets was outstanding as well. Um, it's all about the team pushing forward and, and, and working as a unit. But the spaces that Jordi Alba had, honestly, Madrid should have seen. But, you know, credit to Lopetegui for allowing us to beat them 5-1. Well, yeah, when, they, when the starting lineup came out and you saw it was Rafinha for Dembele, as I kind of even said on last week's show, I expected to see... Roberto and Rafinha starting at least one of these two being Inter and Real Madrid, and then obviously to see them starting in both. And I liked what Rafinha did in that first half was really, really bright. And then in the second half, when he started losing the ball, again, he did look tired. And in the 69th minute, he puts Nelson Semedo, that being Valverde, in. And that it surprisingly just sets Sergio Roberto up on the right wing when the game really got all opened up. Um, and it was kind of risky to have Roberto then become that right wing in a game that, at that time, again, was still so close. But then Demele entered, and then all hell broke loose as far as the space on the field. Everything really opened up, and then it became end-to-end. But when you saw that initial starting lineup, Frances, having seen the performance against Inter, and then even thinking back to Tottenham, where you mentioned and sang the praise of Artur, and I have to say, Frances, with, without your voice since the start of the season being able to say how great Arturo is and all those warm, fuzzy feelings we get when, when we watch him now. Um, but just looking at Rafinha against Dembele and that tactical decision, what did you think going into this match when you saw the decision that Valverde had made? Well, I think that Rafinha was, was good against Inter. He, he wasn't sort of the reason why we won the game. I mean, obviously he did score the goal, but I think that he can cover up that, that position quite well. I mean, he's replacing the best player to ever play the game. So that, that is going to be impossible. So all you can do is compensate and, and, and sort of play to your strengths and obviate your weaknesses in a way. And I think Rafinha did a good job. Um, his positioning is impeccable most of the time. Obviously, he doesn't have the dribbling that Messi has. He doesn't have the vision that Messi has. But I think that his understanding of the position kept the team going. I, I have to say, I think Sergio Roberto would be more than capable of doing that role as well. And um, I, was saying, I was saying to the people I was watching the game with as well, I think given the trust... And, and given sort of the experience, not at the moment, but in due time, I think Coutinho could do that role as well, um, knowing that he sort of played 
most of the time there and for Liverpool, obviously coming from the left a little bit more often as well. But I think he's got the skills. However, if you did move to continue to the centre or that sort of false nine dropping back position, um, you will have to have someone on the left, which we don't, you know, we've got Jordi Alba overlapping, but we don't have anyone sort of fixed in that position right now. But I do think that Rafinha did okay. He was good. He did what he needed to do. Um, you know, we were 2 nil up after half an hour, and Rafinha also contributed to that. Um, so from, from that perspective, I think he's doing the job. But, you know, who the ideal person for that job is, I think in time it should be Coutinho. But, you know, hopefully in time we've got Messi back, and that's not even a problem anymore. Yeah, the way the team has been clicking in the last two matches, what I wonder now is that because Rafinha looks to be not replacing Messi on the right wing, but he's been occupying that spot in the start in the spotting lineup, that that spot in the starting lineup, and then on the other side, since that Tottenham match, it's been Coutinho on the left wing and not playing in the center of the midfield at all. And now Wolverberto can play there since Messi's injury, and even before that, we've seen him at right back and now even supplementing up on the wing. So in the middle of the field, since what was it the last two three weeks? All we've seen is Busquets and Rakitic go the full 90, and then Arthur comes out for Arturo Vidal at some point in the second half. And that's been the rotation so far. So knowing that Barcelona had to get through October, and they did that. Now they're top of the table at the moment, above Atletico Madrid. They're first in the Champions League group. They're f- flying high at the moment. I mean, again, it's a 5-1 win over Real Madrid. It just happened a few hours ago, and I don't want to in any way bring down the, the, the good vibes and, and the feel the and then the, and the positive feelings that we have towards the way Barcelona are playing, particularly without Messi. Um, it does just get me to wonder that this might even be an option. And I do want to spin this positively, Frances, that I think that when we look at Carlos Alenia and the way he's excelled for the Barca B team so far and trying to see where his minutes could come, and I don't want to discard Samper or Denis Suarez, but they are options to potentially rotate at some point in the next few weeks. So against, obviously in the Copa del Rey, we'll see Alenia, we'll see Suarez, we, uh, Dini Suarez, I mean, and we could even see Samper. But even against Rayo Vallecano, I, I think that's a match where you could see a little bit of depth be trusted. And, and I, again, the big story last year was just getting through the Liga, getting that trophy, and then they just ran out of gas. And so with the way they're playing at the moment without Messi... Not running out of gas, I, I think, is the next step. It's that next step in and cementing the fact that if they play this well in the spring and, again, inject Messi back into it, while they're going to have to work on some spacing, but injecting Messi back into the way that they've been playing now for the last two matches, and even since he went down against Sevilla, that I think that the sky is the limit. And with a little bit of rotation, not too much, but Barcelona could really, really be taking that next step. And, again, people have been calling for Malcolm all week, but... As we've seen, the way the rotation sets up, I don't know how many more minutes are available for Malcolm now that we see that he's behind Rafinha, Dembele, Coutinho, obviously Messi, and potentially even Sergio Roberto is able to play up there as well, again, with substitutions throughout a game. Yeah, for sure. But the thing is, as much as people... And I've been, I haven't really been in social media too much, so this opinion is based on reality, you know, people sort of trying to influence what I think. In my eyes, Malcolm, at this moment in time, you know, he may have been quite expensive in the summer. He's nowhere near um, the starting eleven. He's nowhere near the bench, to be honest. And, and we have to stop sort of worrying too much about someone who's not 
in the in the manager's eyes, who are the only eyes that actually matter, in contention right now. Um, I think the Messi injury is unfortunate, but you know, listeners know that I'm quite a positive person. He didn't get injured sort of from his his waist down, so he was a an arm injury. It's not going to affect his lower body at all. Um, I'm sure he continues to train as much as he can in order to not lose his sort of muscular fitness and, and all that. And when he comes back, it's going to be fresh. Um, it can be a blessing in disguise. Um, what happened last season, obviously against Roma, which we don't want to sort of look back, was that the vast majority of the team weren't fit, they weren't prepared, and they weren't mentally ready. I think that the fact that Barca manages to beat Madrid 5-1, and of course Madrid are pretty rubbish this season, yeah. Uh, they don't believe in their manager, they've lost Ronaldo, and they don't really know what they're doing, right? But I think that overall, being able to beat Real Madrid, and you just have to look at the batch, don't look at the players, and what history means, um, is the fourth biggest win over Madrid I've ever witnessed, of which, you know, 5 5-0, 5-0, and 2-6, and after that it's 5-1, isn't it? So I think we need to be really proud. Being very blunt, I don't really care if Malcolm makes the starting eleven. I don't really care if Malcolm makes the starting, you know, the bench and and oh, the squad. It really makes no difference to me. My club just defeated Madrid five-one, and that's all that matters. We are leading the league. We're in the Champions League, and you know you can always argue, oh, Alenia should have more minutes, and the other person should do that. It doesn't make any difference. You know, we are leading. We are winning. We've got a manager that knows what he's doing. He's not always right, and you know, like everyone, he's human and he will make mistakes. But ultimately, the team is where we want the team to be at this moment in time. Messi is injured, sort of in his upper body. He will be much more fresh come the summer. You know, when when June, July, May comes, that's when titles actually get decided. And to be honest, I am. This is gonna sound stupid, but I'm happy that Messi didn't play today. He's getting a well-deserved rest, and he's recovering. We still beat Madrid, so I don't really see what the problem is, you know. And, and you can argue, you can question, you can do all you want, but in my eyes, today was a great day. We win Madrid, so there's no need to look at any negatives at all. Yeah, I mean, just the next name I'll throw out there, El Pistolero was, I mean, otherworldly. And by otherworldly, I mean otheryearly. I mean, it was a, it was a Luis Suarez that we haven't seen in, in a good amount of months and potentially even a year or two. That's how good Luis Suarez was today. He did everything right in this match, and he, the other than a, a first touch that may not be perfect every now and again, and it's not his passing, particularly when Messi's not on the field, is is not too sharp. He had some frustrating moments with Coutinho. He had, you know, one or two missteps even with Arthur, but yet for the one or two or three or four things that make you just scratch your head and get frustrated with with Luis Suarez. I mean, he could have had five goals today, and particularly on that, what would have been his fourth goal, just absolutely fantastic, putting himself in those places, sneaking underneath the center backs, and he seemed to completely sap any confidence that Rafael Varane, who is a world-class center back, had, and yes, on the penalty, even slipping underneath him, but in general, just working in between the two center backs, and Ramos being the other one, and Ramos just looking completely aimless, not knowing where to be, just his movement off the ball was fantastic, checking back to the ball. And yes, a lot of it has to do with the space that Messi is usually in. Suarez was working so hard to take advantage of that space. And it's almost hard to sing his praise. We try to figure out why he was so good today. And there are times when he's a little more frustrating 
not even in recent weeks, but throughout the first early months of the season and a, a lot of the first half of last season as well. A lot of frustration by Luis Suarez, but when he's clicking the way he is and he's working hard and we know that he's going to give us that, even defensively, he seemed engaged today and Barcelona in that first half, the way they enacted their will on the match was by pressing, by playing the way and the style that we know that Barcelona is capable of defending with, where the minute you lose the ball, and particularly when they were moving it over to Ramos, and that connection between Ramos and Nacho was where it seemed like Barcelona was really bringing the pressure, and if they, they being Real Madrid, were not able to funnel it through the middle to Modric or Cruz, or if Isco was not able to get fouled, because basically Isco was completely shut down today. He was absolutely in Sergio Roberto's pocket for the first half. Rakitic was helping out on Isco as well, cutting down that space. Again, as you mentioned, Busquets had a masterclass performance today, so Isco just didn't have the room to dribble and breathe as he normally does. So unless he was getting fouled, there was not much he did other than that 10-minute stretch to start the second half. And again, as a credit to the defense, locking things down, and for all the misgivings of PK as well, it's the same thing, I think, with Luis Suarez, that PK basically since Messi's injury, has turned things around, has been bright, has been a leader, and been the leader that we desired and wanted him to be. And for all the things to be positive about Semedo and Dembele and newer players surprising you, it was that old guard today in Pique and in Luis Suarez, and even Sergio Roberto, who's been there a long, long time now too, the old guard were the ones that really did and Busquets as I mentioned carried this team to that 5-1 victory and it's great to see that the leaders are still there even if the first captain is not on the field you still have guys that have been there now four five plus years that can get this kind of win over Real Madrid and again Frances you're absolutely right my last comment may have been a little misguided because as you say it, it then you, you remember it. and I think we I hope to remember it because this is what Legrand Pregunta was how much fun was this El Clasico and the answer is great fun every goal was just so so enjoyable, and it's wonderful to see Luis Suarez succeed in the way he is. For sure, I, I think Luis Suarez is is the guy that you never want to defend against. Um, for better or worse, I've been a defender when I was playing football. I still, I'm playing football, by the way. But you know, <laughs> great, great I, to hear. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's the guy you don't <laughs> want to defend against. You know, he's the one that at this point in his career, he may look clumsy at times and. You know, he may misplace this pass here and there, but he's annoying. You know, he gets under your teeth, he gets under your skin. He's just he's just this annoying being that you don't know he's gonna go, you don't know what he's gonna do, but you know that ultimately within ninety minutes he's gonna he was gonna do something, he's gonna unbalance the game. And and that's what he did against Madrid, you know. Uh, Baran, Ramos, they're fantastic central defenders, you know, as much as we dislike Ramos or what he represents and the way he acts and you know, what he does against <laughs> the youth players of his own club, which I'm sure people are watching on YouTube. Um, he's just a very good player. And But Suarez knows how to upset people. He knows how to move behind people's back. He knows what to say at the right time. He knows to how unbalanced the referee's sort of thinking. And ultimately, he will always get you a goal, whether he will assist it to Messi when Messi's around or he will score it himself. I think... The main difference to, to Suarez's game today is that Messi wasn't there. And he he knew that he had to be sort of the main protagonist. And he did stand up and he did step up to the challenge. And he was counting, he was noticed, he was leading. And that is what Luis Suarez can add. You know, that's what he does for Uruguay. And I'm delighted he did it for Barca today. Um, as for all the other comments you made, yep, totally agree with everything. I think particular mention from me to Sergio Roberto, which... You know, he's a very skillful, sort of homegrown player. 
He can play a right back. He doesn't always start a right back because obviously Semedo has been far better than last season, this season as well. But he can play in, in the wings. He can, you know, if you put in as a number 10, he can do that. He could put it in the Busquets position. He can do that as well. He is the total player. He absolutely represents what La Masia is, which is having the, the ethos, having the attitude, having the skills, having the positioning, and having the values of actually what does the team need me to do and just go ahead and do it. And uh, I think... I think it was the Luis Suarez's last goal. He's just on the floor trying to scoop a ball back to him and he succeeds and, you know, we end up beating Madrid 5-1, which is the target, right? And uh, before the game started, I didn't know we were going to beat them 5-1. Any win would have done and we beat them in style and we should all be celebrating as much as, you know, there are different points to talk about. But beating Madrid 5-1 has to be remarkable and we are leading Champions League, we're leading the league, that's it. That's what when you start the season. That's what you want, and that's what we have. So, I think we need to be positive about where the team is going, and trusting that this team knows what they're doing. The manager can be frustrating at times, of course, and you know, being a Barca manager is an incredibly difficult job. But we have to trust the people we have that they're going to take us there because there's no reason to think that they're not. Yeah, and we certainly have to keep hold of the narrative. I mean, even though Real Madrid is having a down year, and again, they're going to get a lot of negative publicity from this, and a lot of it will be saying, oh, well, we beat a Real Madrid that wasn't themselves. They weren't normally what we see from Los Blancos. But that said, there's still that feeling that this is the most important derby in the world. This is, I mean, it may not be the oldest, but it is certainly maybe the most global, maybe the one that's watched by the most people around the world. It's the one that has everyone's attention. And even if one team is up and one team is down in a certain year, it's still the one that captivates a world audience and still means so much to not only the two teams involved in the supporting groups of those two teams, but again, it has the world's attention. It's the one that everyone is going to talk about. And so even if Real Madrid are in a bad way, you're absolutely right that if Real Madrid won one match this year, or let's, I mean, again, there is an El Clasico at the Bernabeu in the spring, but even if Real Madrid won just this match in the, in the month, it's still going to be something that people are going to talk about. It's still going to be the match that makes you wonder what's wrong with Barcelona, even if Barca wins every match in October or gets a result in every match in October and, and Real Madrid had just won this one. And then it's, oh, still, sure. it's still going to be sure. the narrative, right? And so, and that is part of, and this gets being, not being a sore winner, but saying that beating Real Madrid 5-1, it's, it is an important thing to note. It is an important thing that regardless of where they were in their history or their season, or in a bad way that they are in, they're going to fire their manager and who knows who's going to, which players are going to even make it through this season if this continues the way it is at Real Madrid. But again, that said, that beast, as we know, Real Madrid, the money they have, the, the storied franchise that they are, and the history they have in their, in, in their stadium, you know that they will rise again. They will always come back for Barcelona, and that is going to be a, a, a knockout fight that will continue until you and I are long done watching football and long, long gone from this planet. They will continue on fighting this eternal rivalry. So it is, again, a match like this and a result like this, it's hard even a, an hour or two away to kind of revel in, uh, in just how important it might be. I didn't watch too many preview shows, but I did watch and listen to something for a little while on YouTube. And uh, they were saying, oh, you know, the Clásico is not going to be as important because Messi and Ronaldo are there. Well, to be honest, man, like 
when Figo was there, that was passion, wasn't it? There was some some pig's head thrown into him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when when Stoichkov stepped on the referee, that was some passion as well. You know, and Messi, Ronaldo, as big players as they are, and we love Messi, you know, to the moon and back, but they will go, but the club, the badge, the rivalry will stay. And it's not about the players, it's about the club. It's about the heritage, it's about the politics now. It's more relevant than ever. And it's all about the, the, the thought about what it means to people. You know, I was talking to, um, to my friends um, just before we started recording this. For the whole week, for the whole month, until the next classical, people that support Barca or Madrid are going to be annoying each other, teasing each other, having that horrible word that I hate, which is banter with each other, um, talking about the game that just happened. You know, Real Madrid fans are really, really obviously unhappy about having lost 5-1, but they're going to be even worse tomorrow when they go to work and all of the Barca supporting colleagues are going to start teasing them for the whole day. You know, they may get to their desks and they may have a picture of Luis Suarez in there. You know, they may have a picture of whatever it is. It's just, it's not just a game of football. It's, it's the whole culture. It's the whole sort of distraction mechanism to a country and, and a region, depending which way you think about it, that is going through a lot of change. It's a lot of the political feeling, the political thought, the political sort of rivalry even. And, and all of these, you know, 90... 90 minutes of 22 men chasing a ball is more than that. And um, whether Messi or Ronaldo are there, to be honest, is quite irrelevant, even though they are the best players in the, you know, the last decade, last 15, 20 years. I get that. But it is a much more important event than a couple of players running around. Yeah, certainly. And we have to, and we have to realize that. And we, and we cannot forget there was a lot of classical before Messi was even born. And it will continue once he's retired, which obviously we never really want to happen. Well, that's actually almost a perfect transition, Frances, to part two, La Gran Pregunta Parte Dos. And, you know, this show, when we started this back in May of 2017, it had its messy. His name was Frances Tomas. And while the show has continued and Frances has stepped away for a little bit, you know, I have had so many listeners and, and fans of the show continually asking what is Frances up to and particularly for the first few weeks and even months saying where's Frances why am I not hearing Frances where's Frances um, so we would love to hear both me and the listeners again I I kept it under wraps but I'll be the first to say and again you're going to agree with this it was not a rift between Frances and I we are still friends we still talk as much as people who are living half around halfway around the world from each other talk and uh you know, there's, again, no bad blood with us, but I want to give you a platform, Frances. Just well, how, how's everything been going and what have you been up to? All right, okay. Um, so this is quite personal. I don't normally talk personal stuff, but um, here it goes. So, no, I, I lived in London for 16 years. Obviously, moved from Barcelona in 2002. And, you know, my, my, as far, you know, we love doing the podcast and I was writing for ESPN and I was doing all the blogging for Barca, etc., but um, that's not my day job. I'm actually um, like a school leader, like a teacher sort of thing. And uh, an offer came around May last year um, to move to Doha in Qatar, um, which is where I am now. And, you know, I moved my whole, the whole of the family, my little girl, my wife, uh, my little, little girl, my baby, who is going to be one this week, believe it or not. And... Um, yeah, we just we just move, we just switch. Um, sometimes in life, opportunities come that you may regret not taking. 
and this was one of those one of those opportunities. Um, I feel like I've grown as a person. I mean, living in the Middle East um, is very different from living in London. Um, cultures cultures different. Um, the the class system is different. Um, my actual job, which is working in a school, is incredibly different. But I am enjoying every single bit of it. Um, you know, every day I learn from from the people that I'm with. Um, I think that I'm a, I'm a much better person for having moved. I think diversity, um, moving around and, and, and experiencing different things is what makes a person complete. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be three months since I moved here to Doha in Qatar. And um, it's been a fantastic experience. It's been a very, very difficult at the start. You know, uh, like shipping my belongings, some of them from London, like the girls' toys and stuff. Um, it was an absolute nightmare. Um, I think the culture here is much more relaxed than what I'm used to. But as, as I just said, I think it's a very enriching opportunity. And, uh, you know, if anyone is listening who wants to experience something new, I think that, that is certainly the right thing to do. Um, it definitely has made an impact for myself and my family. And, um, you know, I'm really enjoying every minute of it, even though things are not always easy. But, you know, things are getting easier, getting better. And um, it's, it's all experience. It's all about our moving on. Um, Family-wise, we're all okay. Um, Barca-wise, it's harder to watch the games because, um, you know, Barca kick off around 11 p.m., sometimes 10 p.m. And my job starts two hours earlier than it did in London, so I have to get out of bed at 5 in the morning. And, uh, you know, if the game finishes at 1, that's really, really hard. So sometimes I have to watch it the next day, which, which is horrendous because I already know the score because people text me and <laughs> tell me things. But um, overall, um, following Barca from the Middle East, I think it's harder than doing it in London. But my love for the club will never die. Um, as for the podcast, I want to thank you, Dan, for keeping it going. Obviously, you have different guests, but I do know that, you know, the, 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 the background work and the editing and the chasing guests and the being patient and the recording, I know that is, as much as we love the podcast, a bit of a pain at times. Uh, but you do it you, you do it with a smile and um you know over the last three months my family had to come first the move had to come first and uh i am delighted you kept it going um obviously the listeners mean the world to me i always look at the group i know i never say anything but i always look at the group i know there's a lot of people still posting and still commenting during before and after games and throughout the week and um you know i may not always say something but i i am always watching i'm always looking and I really am enjoying that something that we created from nowhere is continuing to be alive. And um, I'm very encouraged to see that. Um, in terms of time, the, the timing of the games is horrendous. And the time difference with New York is even worse. I mean, the clocks went back yesterday, I think, and that's going to make it even more difficult. But, you know, hats off to you, Dan, for keeping it going. And the Barca podcast and BarcaBlog.com are always part of my heart. And I'm great, very grateful and I'm delighted that you kept it going. And um, to the listeners and fans that are still listening to me talking, um, thank you for everything you have done over the years and uh, continue to support the club. And I'm not going to be that much of a stranger anymore, um, but you know, I cannot take the, the step forward that I was taking last year because of family reasons. But it's... And obviously, Dan is still the best of the best. Never had that fight. He's, he's fantastic. So nothing, no nonsense like that at all. 
Yeah, well, we, we, I really appreciate all the compliments. And again, Frances, and for our listeners, again, who are still with us, again, there's a reason for after more than a year plus of doing the show. Again, I want to keep this under wraps, and I do appreciate, Frances, not only you coming on, but again, letting everyone know kind of what's been up with that. And again, if you've been able to stick with us through the time when Frances kind of you know left the show, the answer now that you've got is finite, that Frances is not gone he's stepped away he's life has changed and while the show continues on again you will hear his voice in the future that's for certain and again we loved having him on for a class ago this was a huge episode again a special thank you not only Frances, for you coming back on the show but to you our listeners as well thanks again for tuning in you can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show again this is a big one this is a class ago we hope that a lot of ears we're hearing this, and again, for those hearing it, maybe even for the first time, and you like what you heard, please subscribe. You can find us on social media as well. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions, as Frances mentioned. And you can help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast, as always. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, Frances, I'm going to get emotional trying to do this again. Let's see if we can can nail this down. We'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.